We have been doing a series called A Beautiful Collision. Um, and just to lead us into what today is about, I think it's so apt that we are doing today's message on Mother's Day. And for the reason being, if you had to describe what most of your moms are known for, uh, I think we would say lots and lots and lots of love. But if we had to try and define that, we would probably define their love by self-giving sacrifice in so many ways. I mean, I see it in my wife. Um, if, if my kids have finished their plates of food and they're still hungry, they just uh, get it from their mother. I'm like, eat your own food. Uh, but my wife is so happy to share all that she's got with my kids. And um, this is a reflection of who God is to us in so many ways. And so if you haven't been with us for this journey, um, th this whole idea of a beautiful collision has been around the fact that our lives and God lives, uh, God's life, when they intersect, they should intersect at the cross. And that intersection is going to be a collision. We don't want to kind of just be slightly influenced by God. We want something in us to be radically transformed and what that transformation looks like is going to be what today is about. That we've been looking at the cross from a number of different angles. Because the cross is not a simple single thing. It is more like a multifaceted diamond. That as we look at it from different angles, we can see increasing levels of power and beauty in who God is and what He has done in our lives through the cross. And our prayer is, not only do we look back at the beautiful collision we once had, but that every Sunday becomes a bit of a beautiful collision. So one of the things that we've also realized about the series is that when we think about the cross, sometimes it is very difficult for us to understand what it means for my day-to-day -day life. All right, and so I know Craig and I have worked really hard that as we've looked at the cross from the angle of justification or redemption or reconciliation or King Jesus being on the cross, we've tried to find the practical thing that you can hold on to and implement as a consequence of this truth. But sometimes it still feels a little bit difficult. However, today is 100% application. In fact, you can start applying today's sermon during the sermon. And you can apply it at home today and you can apply it in your life from tomorrow because today we're going to be looking at Jesus, our example. Jesus going to the cross as our example. So far, we've looked at all the wonderful ways that God has saved us in and through the cross. But today is Jesus, our example. Now, um, Ruth got a copy of my book uh, as her kind of one of her Mother's Day presents today. And in one of the chapters in my book, I wrote a chapter called, Why is the Church Filled with Hypocrites? Now, it's coming from the angle of someone who has been hurt by the church or someone who watches the, the news out there telling us about one more so-called celebrity pastor who is leaving the faith or abandoning his family or losing his faith, whatever the case might be. Or someone who has just encountered what um, Larry Osborne calls jerks for Jesus. Right? People who say they love Jesus, but their lives look nothing like Him. Maybe you're sitting here and you've experienced great pain within the context of the church. And, and this is not a philosophical issue. 
This is an emotional issue that can really cause people to either drift away from the faith and from the church or just refuse to come to Christ in the first place. Not because Christ isn't beautiful, but sometimes we get in the way. Now, there's a number of ways we can respond to that accusation. One of them is just quickly to acknowledge that every single one of us are hypocrites. Every single one of us. The finger's pointing to me. I have failed Christ on a daily basis. And in that, for that reason, I failed my wife, I failed my kids, I failed you on a daily basis. And even if you're listening to this, be it here or online, and you do not consider yourself religious or a Christian, I can guarantee you that on a daily basis, you are failing your own sense of ideals, whatever those ideals may be. So that's the one angle. But the other angle as to why sometimes we see such a big gap between the person of Christ and his children is a failure to take today's message seriously. Jesus, our example for life and faith. So when it comes to thinking about Jesus, our example, I believe there, that there are two errors that we need to avoid. The one error on this side is to see Jesus exclusively as my example. In other words, Jesus was a man. Jesus was a prophet. He lived this wonderful life. He showed us what it looks like to love neighbor, to love enemy, to sacrifice himself for the people who sought to give him harm. And, and wow, we just need to try and live like that. Well, that is definitely part of the picture we're going to be looking at today. But if we only see Jesus as an example, there's a few problems with that. The one is the first six parts of this series where Jesus has claimed that what I'm going to do on the cross is going to accomplish divine things. He also claimed not to be a man or a prophet. He claimed to be God himself. And so if he was not God and only a man, then he was a liar, or he was crazy. And just general, by the way, rule of thumb for choosing your religion, don't go to liars and crazy people. Just avoid those people, right? So the only option that is available to us if he wasn't a liar and if he wasn't crazy is that he was who he said he was. And therefore, what he accomplished on the cross was so much more than just an example. And it was everything else we've spoken about up to this point. But he is at least our example. The other side, which I'm going to be speaking into a little bit more because I believe in the church this is maybe a little bit more prevalent, is that, oh, I come to Jesus because I need someone to deal with my sin. I come to Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. I want to get the get out of jail free card. I want to go to the good place. And so if I pray the magic prayer, I go to heaven one day and I get to live my life the way that I've always lived it. And that is to see what God did on the cross as this wonderful saving act, but not to see Jesus as my example. See, this is going to get to the heart of what being a Christian is actually about. And so is being a Christian simply the fact that I prayed this magic prayer, or is there more to it? Well, let's see how Jesus defines it. He says that in Matthew 28, verses 19, he's about to give his disciples, he's about to give us his marching orders, he's about to go up to heaven, which we're going to be celebrating this week, Ascension Day, and he says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now, just to talk about this word disciple, he didn't say go and make converts. 
He didn't say, go set up a whole bunch of tents, scare the hell out of people, literally, and get them to write their name down on a card and go and tell your friends how many people you saved on that day. He said, go and make disciples. A disciple by definition isn't someone who prayed the magic prayer. A disciple by definition is someone who follows Jesus. Then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so often again, there's another point where we stop. But if we continue to read into verse 20, it says, this is defining the process of being a disciple. And again, we're not making converts, we're making disciples. And so you're going to baptize these people as they come to faith in Christ through repentance and faith. And you're going to teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Now, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, just let that sink in. That I am supposed to be learning to obey everything Jesus commanded. That, that hits me like a bullet between the eyes every single time. Because I know I fail that daily. And yet this is the part that I ought to be on. Right, Billy Graham's own foundation. Now, Billy Graham was one of those saints. It's so wonderful to have a saint get to the end of their life and there's no scandal surrounding their life these days. And he was one of those who seemed to run the race well and end the race well. Uh, He probably spoke to more people face-to-face than any other evangelist up to this point in time. And so many people have been saved through the ministry of Billy Graham. And maybe some of you were saved through the ministry of Billy Graham. But his own foundation discovered. So this is not someone who is anti-Billy Graham. This is not someone who's trying to throw shade on Billy Graham. His own foundation discovered that 5 to 8% of people who stuck up their hand as a professional of their faith, only 5 to 8% of them are following Jesus five years later. And this is the struggle of coming to Christ and also becoming his disciple. Now, think about it. If God's main goal was simply to get you to sign on the bottom of the line so that you get the get out of jail free card so that you can go to heaven, if that was his goal of salvation exclusively, then why doesn't he, the minute you pray the prayer, the minute you come forward in church, the minute you pray the sinner's prayer, why doesn't he, doesn't he just zap you up from there? Why does he leave us here? What's going on here? And I think in this message and in this verse is the answer that he wants to make us into a disciple. And there is purpose in that, where our life of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, not just someone who says that I said the prayer, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That matters. He says in this verse that he is teaching us to obey everything that he has commanded us. So what does this look like? Well, this is where Jesus as our example comes in because the life that Jesus taught is the life that Jesus lived. And so often when I'm struggling to understand, but but Put flesh on those bones. Help me see what this looks like. I can look at Jesus as my example for life and faith today. You know, I I would 
probably say that the biggest conversation that comes up amongst Christians when we're talking Christianese, meaning you know, we're talking faith, whether it be formally in a life group or a Bible study or just friends having conversation, I'd say that the number one thing that comes up is I want to know God's will for my life. And usually it's I want to know God's specific will for my life. You know, I'm really struggling. Should I study this or should I study that? Well, I've got an opportunity to move to Cape Town. I want to know, does God want me to stay up in Joburg? Does he want me to move in Cape Town? Oh, I want to watch a movie tonight. I wonder what God's will is for me. Which movie am I going to watch tonight? And what is so ironic about those conversations is that so many of us are so obsessed with which career should I study, but we're ignoring the things that God is saying. But here is a crystal clear description of my will for your life. Start getting those things right, and then let's work out the details. So I want to give you a verse that you can take to the bank. This is God's will for your life. Romans 8, verses 28 to 29. And just to say, for those of you who know this verse, uh, there are so many theological rabbit holes in this verse that I'm going to ignore so that we can get to the end of verse 29, because that's the point, at least for today. Where Paul writes, he says, we know that in all things, in all things, times of COVID, times post-COVID, times pre-COVID, in all things, God works for the good of who? For the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. So what is, what is His purpose? Well, His purpose is, the next verse, for those God foreknew, He also predestined for what? To go to heaven? Is that his purpose for my life? Well, this verse answers it for us. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. God's purpose unequivocally is that your life is conformed to the likeness of his son. And I know that sometimes that is difficult to understand. As we look at the life of Jesus, he's a Middle Eastern man in Middle Eastern times 2,000 years ago. Man, he doesn't understand COVID. He doesn't understand my wife, my spouse, my kids. What does it look like? And so I, I love this definition of discipleship by Dallas Willard. And I've used this before. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Your life your bank accounts, your income, your debt, your husband, your wife, your kids, your boss, your internal struggles. Discipleship is figuring out who Jesus would be if he were you. So if my life of Christianity and faith is not just about going to heaven one day, it most certainly includes that, in case you haven't heard that, most certainly includes that. But if the focus of Paul and Jesus is actually that in this life, I have gone through the narrow gate to actually walk on the narrow road and be conformed into his likeness, it begs the question, what about those people who say they're a Christian because they said the magic prayer, but there's nothing in their life that shows that they're on the road? Now, it's not up to me to play judge and jury. But as we go through the scriptures, these warnings come through very loudly. 
forcing us to ask that question. All right, so Jesus is my example. And this is how I'm conformed into his image. So what does the cross have to do with it? I mean, Jesus did such wonderful things. He performed these miracles. He loved the outcasts. He was just, he was righteous. Why, if we're looking at Jesus as our example for life and faith, do we have to look at the cross? After all, that is what the series is about. Why couldn't he just have lived this awesome life? Well, again, Jesus, in defining what it means to become a follower of his, he says in Matthew 16, verses 24, and note the role of the cross in this. If anyone would come after me, he must, number one, deny himself. And number two, take up his cross and follow me. How different is that to guys come to Jesus? It's going to be awesome. He's going to make all your dreams come true. He's going to make everything and every day feel like the best day on earth. There is such an offense almost in this statement. We're so keen to open the doors as wide as possible. And, and, and there is a sense in which God is too. But God doesn't fumble on what it means to follow him. He says, listen, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Not just say the magic prayer. And just by the way, I know Craig and I, can get quite sarcastic about this whole magic prayer thing. Are we against the sinner's prayer? Now, if by the sinner's prayer you mean God's word was preached in some form to me, God convicted me of my sin and my need for him, and I see him as lovely and beautiful and as king and a savior. And I just need a little help with the words to say. If by that you mean the sinner's prayer that I'm going to repent, turn from my ways and follow him, then yes, we are 100% for the sinner's prayer. But if by the sinner's prayer you mean, again, I got the hell scared out of me. I don't really mind about Jesus. I just want to go to heaven one day and not go to the bad place. And so I'm going to sign on the bottom line and stick up my hand in church. And hopefully this magic prayer saves me. Then we're against that. Do you understand the difference? You see, on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty we could not pay in his death. On the cross, through his death and resurrection, Jesus overcame the enemies that we could not overcome. The enemy of death, the enemy of hell, the enemy of Satan, the enemy of sin. On the cross, he sets us free from the curse of the law, the curse of sin. Again, something that we could not accomplish either in our lives or in our own deaths. But that does not mean we do not need to die. Becoming a Christian means we most certainly need to die. We just in our death cannot accomplish what Jesus does. But in our death, we partner and become recipients of what Jesus does. You see, we want to have both sides. I want to become a Christian, avoid the bad place, and get everything that I truly want. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how it works. See, the problem isn't having some of the things that we want. 
The problem is that Jesus knows that they have us and that they compete for the rightful place of his lordship in our lives. So it is not bad. And, and as a church, we have strived hard to preach a, a biblical balanced understanding of what it means to have things in this world. The problem isn't the house or the car or the holiday home or whatever you spend your money on. The problem is when those things become my affirmation, that the way that I experience love, the way that I experience salvation, the thing that I go to instead of going to God. And God therefore knows that because these things are His ultimate competition in our life, He calls us to deny ourselves and lay down ourselves so that we can follow Him. This is why the first line in the Lord's Prayer isn't give us. The opening line of the Lord's Prayer is helping us understand God's majesty, His power, His transcendence, as well as His fatherly love and closeness and nearness to us. And then the very next functional part of the Lord's Prayer is, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so if I'm working through the Lord's Prayer on a daily basis, I am choosing every single day to lay my kingdom down, my will down for the sake of His kingdom and for the sake of His glory and for the sake of His will. And only once I have postured myself in that position do I get to say, now give us. See, it also means recognizing that the things, if, if my heart is not bounded by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, the things that my heart wants will kill me. See, I, I used to think the older I'd get as a Christian, the easier it would be to be a Christian. And I used to think that looking at the older saints and the true, the true gracious saints in our lives, I used to think it just, it just became easier. I used to think that for them, there was like just zero temptation in their lives. And living these righteous lives was the easiest thing in the world. You know what I've come to discover? I've come to discover that they're just used to dying every day. So if we are to follow Christ, we need to deny ourselves. And then the second one is take up his cross, which is kind of saying the same thing with just saying it a bit more seriously. Because if I, if I am truly going to deny myself, it is going to feel like a cross. If I'm going to deny myself, there are times that I'm going to be rejected. If I'm going to deny myself, there are times where I'm going to risk being betrayed. If I'm going to deny myself, there are most certainly times where it is going to be painful. So the point of it feeling like a little part of me is dying. But that's the point. You see, denying yourself that extra little thing you want to buy, but the Spirit puts it on your heart that now you've gone from you having things to things having you, and you saying no to that moment can feel like a death. Or you denying yourself that fit of rage because someone ticks you off can feel like a little bit of you dies. Or denying yourself this little bit of gossip and everything in you wants to say this thing can feel like a death. 
You know, I, I was in two minds as to whether I would bring up this point of illustration, but I, I feel like it's the right thing to do because of our cultural moments. One of the biggest arguments put forth by the LGBTQ proponents is how dare we deny someone genuine love? And guys, let me say, I am trying very hard to empathize with someone who, for whatever reason, and we're not going to get into that, but for whatever reason has come to look in the mirror and try and find a sense of uh, congruity with who they are on the inside, and it just doesn't work. And for whatever reason, their attraction is to the same sex, or whatever the case might be. And so I can understand how on the surface of it, it could seem so cruel to say to that person, we're going to deny you love. But do you know what the truth is on the other side? Every single one of us has to carry a cross for the sake of Christ. What if the person you fall in love with, for whatever reason, is married? For the sake of Christ, you will deny yourself and carry that cross. What if, and I've literally seen people walk this road, what if your spouse falls ill to the degree that your years are spent looking after them and you are so willing to sacrificially love them, but there are those moments when you are craving returned love and you get given opportunity. For the sake of Christ, you will deny yourself that love. What if you experience greater love through a computer screen than the person who wears your wedding ring? You will deny yourself whatever love and affirmation you receive through that computer screen for the sake of Christ. And I could go on and on and on why so much of the Christian life should be defined by me denying myself and carrying my cross. And that can feel like dying. Now, Maybe you're saying, Stephen, that sounds like such horrible news. Does that mean I need to just deny myself all good things? I mean, Stephen, we, we were going to go out for lunch in about an hour's time, and now you're saying I need to deny myself a good lunch. Right? Or I was looking forward to a good movie tonight, and now you're saying I need to deny myself good things. Is that what I'm saying? Well, the answer is sometimes. We call it fasting where I sometimes choose to deny myself not just sinful things, but sometimes good things that I can rightly see as good gifts from God so that I'm disciplining myself not to make God things out of them. Even something as good as food. Amen. And then thereafter, the Christian walk is having a dial on my heart trying to figure out where my true hope is 
where my true identity is and taking appropriate denial action in order to keep my focus on God. Now, I am so aware that some of you are like, Stephen, I did everything possible to get my mom to church today and this is the worst Mother Day sermon ever. Or, this is just the worst advertisement for Christianity ever. Why would we do this? Where is the good news in this? Why is denying myself and dying the heart of Christianity? Well, I'm so glad you're asking that question. And the first answer to that question is this, because we get Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, I I think one of the main reasons why people drift in their faith, I think one of the main reasons why I sometimes drift in my faith, and one of the main reasons why sometimes people don't want to come to faith is because they do what Jesus said we should do, and that's take a bit of an audit, where we weigh things up. And we look at the cost. We look at what I perceive I'm going to get out of this transaction. And at some point, the cost seems higher than what I'm going to get out of it. And it seems like if I go to the world, I'm going to get more out of that and there's no cost. Now, I would say with tears in my eyes, you're wrong. But don't believe me, I'm going to ask God to, as we sang earlier, open the eyes of your heart so that you can truly see the wondrous riches we get in Christ. But the denying myself and dying is not something God wants from you. He's not a sadist. This is something he wants for you. Because he wants to give himself to you. And like John the Baptist said, if that's the case, then may I become less and may he become more. And so the process of dying is getting me out of me and stuff out of me so that I can get Jesus. So that it's no longer I who live, but it is the gift of God and Jesus Christ living in me and through me, his life, his power in this life and the next one. That is what we get. Number two, why would we die to ourselves and deny ourselves? Number two, because we get what Christ gives. Now, I know this is another of my hobby horses that comes up regularly in my preaching. But again, the reason why it is a hobby horse for me is because I think it is one of the other major reasons we slip one of the other major reasons I slip and I think why people struggle to come to faith is because they want the things that they think God wants to give them, but they don't want Jesus himself. So they're saying, Jesus, give me peace. Jesus, give me direction. Jesus, give me success. I I don't want you unless you give me those things. You see the difference? Now, I... I wouldn't be surprised, and, and again, God can do whatever He wants, but I wouldn't be surprised if the main reason why some of us are not receiving some of the things we think we should be getting from God 
is because we, we want them apart from Jesus. God, give me peace. I, I don't want Jesus. I don't want to walk with him. I don't want to follow him. But give me peace. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of the main reasons God is not answering your prayer is because that is not how it works. God is not in heaven handing out peace. He is giving us himself and all of those things are given to us in him. So it is out of my relationship with Christ and following him and dying that I receive the gift of peace and the gifts of wisdom and his power and his presence. Jesus once again says in Matthew 10, 39, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus knows, this is what I said earlier. He knows that if I seek to find my identity in the things of this world, as wonderful as they may feel temporarily or even for a few years, he knows we're heading off a cliff. He knows it. And so he says, if you're going to find your life being defined by that power or that thing or that object or that affirmation, you will lose yourself. But if you lose yourself for my sake, guess what? We get everything. Everything our heart truly desires. Because what your heart truly desires isn't the house or the car or the human. What your heart truly desires is the affirmation, is the love that you seek is the purpose that you're looking for. And that comes in and through Christ and Christ alone. And why? Well, if we think about how Easter weekend works, the, the death of Christ followed by resurrection. And for us to walk in the resurrection of Christ, we need to die so that we get Christ and everything he wants to give us. Guys, we've been online for almost a year. And to be honest, I'm no prophet. Uh, and to be honest, all the prophets who have so-called prophesied about this COVID thing, to a person, have all been wrong. So I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, if you're on the news, you know there's this potential third wave. Are we going to be online again in a few weeks' time? I don't know. But what I do know is this. While we were online, man, it was tough, right? And I don't just mean church was tough. Life was tough. Some of you lost your job. Some of you lost a considerable source of income. Some of you have just lost relationships. Some of you have just struggled in so many ways. But also when it comes to church, yes, it's been wonderful to use the technology that is available to us today, but I know it's not the same. And I firmly believe that as much as church online is a wonderful step to take forwards, ultimately the embodied church is God's plan A. And that's why it's so wonderful to worship and be together. You're watching me on your cell phone, you're occupying about, I'm occupying about 2% of your vision and your attention. Whereas I'm hoping that we're getting close to you know, 30% of your attention right now. But one of the things that I've regularly heard people say is, man, I just want to go back to church as normal. Now again, if you mean go back to church as normal, you mean, man, I just love following Jesus. It is a difficult time to follow Jesus right now. I need the love and support of people around me. 
I want to push into relationships. I'm going to be on, on an online life group because of the little that I can get out of that, which is better than nothing. But I, I, I so desire to experience this part of my Christian walk in addition to the other parts of my Christian walk, which is just being part of this visible body where I can love and be loved and serve and be served. I can worship together and experience God's power and presence in this special way. If that's what you mean, then by all means, yes, let's go back to church as normal. But if by what you mean is go back to church as normal is, you know what, every now and again, I need a little dose of vitamin church just to make me feel better because I'm not following Christ. You hear me? Let us not go back to church as normal because that is not how it works. What this world needs and what you need and what your family needs is resurrection power. And that comes through us who are followers of Jesus Christ, dying to ourselves for the sake of Christ, for the sake of others. So that I can say it is no longer Stephen who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And whether we go back online or not, this is what our world needs. And we need to make this transition in our own minds and hearts. Guys, we need to get out of our heads this idea that being a Christian means I prayed the magic prayer, I signed on the bottom line, now I'm going to heaven. By following Jesus, submitting my life to His Lordship, I get heaven, but only because I get Him. And so I'm inviting every single one of you to transition your idea of what it means to be a Christian for your sake, for the sake of your family and for the sake of the world around us. So I promise I'm wrapping up. Yeah. I want to take this idea of Jesus being our example, going to the cross from one last angle. And then we're going to pray. This verse, I think, has probably been the most quoted verse at Riverside in the last three, four years. A verse worth underlining, memorizing. Hebrews 12, verses 2 to 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thoughts will fix our eyes. Now consider him. So our attention, our focus is on him, what he has accomplished on the cross. Now we consider him, meaning we are thoughtful about this process. We are meditating on who he is and what he has done. Consider this Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One of the reasons Jesus went to the cross was not just to save you, but to help you endure as you fix your eyes on him and consider what he endured for your sake. I don't know how many of you are feeling weary in your faith. And how many of you are possibly losing hearts? 
I just want to locate this sermon as of highest importance to you, not because I believe in what I have to say, but I believe in what these words have to say. And that is the power of the example of Christ to you to endure and to be of courage. And so it is at this point that I want to pray for us. So pray with me, Father. I understand that we have been talking about weighty, eternal issues, but that also have such significance for my life right now. Father, I ask that you would lovingly but very clearly convict us of this idea that all you did was die to save me, but then I get to still be Lord of my life. Father, you've called us to follow you. You've called us to lay down our lives and you've called us to deny ourselves, to carry a cross for your sake. But I know that that only makes sense as we weigh it up, Jesus, as you commanded us to do, if we see getting Jesus as infinitely better than everything that I lose. Uh, Jesus, with the best eloquence that I've got, I cannot do that in anyone's heart or mind. And so Holy Spirit, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we truly see. And so that when I compare what I get in you, everything else is done in comparison. Holy Spirit, show us the dimensionless nature of the love we receive in Christ, so that all other loves pale. Father, help us be like those people who discover that pearl in the field and is willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the kingdom of God. Help us see your will and your kingdom coming as infinitely better than my will and my kingdom come. Help us see. Help us see. And Father God, we repent of trying to make salvation on my terms. At the same time, Lord, I know that sometimes we can be overwhelmed by the struggle. So once again, help us as we fix our eyes on Jesus and as we consider the mighty, beautiful work of your Son. Help us not lose heart. Give us divine courage and hope in this moment as we see you, Jesus. And so, Father, I know that this prayer is so dependent, 100% dependent on the work of your Spirit. So we respond to you in faith, but God, I pray that you would seal and sustain the work that you have started right now. 
And we pray this in your name. Amen.